Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So if you have your Bible, open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to go before us as we open His Word and invite Him to, after worshiping Him with our hearts, now speak to our hearts through His Word. Father, we thank You again for truth. It's truth that sets us free. It's truth that conforms us into the image of Jesus. And that's really our desire. He is, he is the one we want to be like. He has done everything for us. He's done so much. And where would we be without Him? And yet, Lord, here we are. We're ready to receive from you. So we open your word now and invite you to speak by your spirit into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at two verses today. And in these two verses, I believe there's a lot for us because every one of us has a a different mix uh, of people in our lives. Some are a a dream to be around, and some are a little more like a nightmare. Some are a great pleasure to have, and some are a little bit of a pain, but we're all a little bit different. And if in any group that we run with, it could be our family, it could be work, it could be church and ministry, whatever it is, there's people in very different places in their life. They're different in their maturity, they're different in their, their strength of their faith, they're different in their attitudes and and their experiences. And and all those differences can create challenges sometimes because we relate to one another in in light of our sin nature that we kind of inherited. If you think about where the first challenges in relationships started, all you have to do is look at the very beginning. When Adam fell, it was Genesis 3. By Genesis 4, you see anger, you see murder, and you see lying and deception, all within the space of one chapter. And we've had thousands of years to kind of develop that and get better at it. And it's no surprise that, you know, relationships in this fallen world can be a real challenge. I don't think they were ever really super easy, but now things are becoming more challenging. And I'm from California, just outside of Los Angeles, and I have not seen it as much here in Colorado. You could be thankful for that. Hope it doesn't come, but where I live right now, it is so divided. The environment is very hostile. It's become a thing of, you know what, there's almost no common ground anymore. You basically have two groups, and the two groups don't like one another. And and it's just a difficult, difficult thing. There's a a huge amount of intolerance towards others. There's there's just it's just pretty rough. And, And so things are not easy. And it's even challenging sometimes in the family of God. As sad as it is to think and say, there are challenges in just relating to one another in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, in a way that's godly. You know, there is uh, somebody that put together a little poem, a phrase actually, says, goes something like this. To live above with the saints we love will certainly be glory, but to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And that's so often true that, that... even the relationships within the family of God can be kind of challenging because, again, we're very different. I'm a, fam- I'm a father of four kids. 
My wife and I have four kids together, and then we've had two great additions who have married into our family, and, and we're blessed by all six of our kids. But I've noticed this, is that even though my wife and I have tried to raise them the same, same principles, same parenting, they're all so different. They're very, very different, even though, I mean, the environment was pretty much similar, the same. Our children are very different, and because they're so different, I treat them a little different. I love them all the same, but I treat them differently depending on who they are and kind of some of the strengths and weaknesses that they have. And dealing with difficult people, even when the family of God can be the same way, is there is a, a wisdom and understanding that, that we need to have because we are, number one, we're not perfected in any way ourselves. We have our own challenges. We have our own weaknesses. And then the people around us are not perfected either. And so there's, there's big challenges along the way. And the real key of life is just knowing the right way to treat the people around us. And so that's what brings us to the letter of the Thessalonians. This church in Thessalonica, just to kind of bring you real briefly and quickly up to speed, this church was a great church, but it was a, a young church. And I would say even an immature, immature church in some ways, Paul rolled into Thessalonica, and he, in that three-week period of time he was there, shared the gospel, a church was born, and, and, and this church is going now. And again, they're, they're, they're doing well, but there's some, some issues with maturity and growth, and he's helping them along. And so he writes this letter to them, and towards the, the last part of the, the book, the last chapter, he starts just hitting them with really brief, punchy, applications and things that they can do to kind of help them get along with one another and smooth things out within the family of God. And, and that's kind of where we're going to focus on just a couple of those verses there. And so we're going to, we're going to dive into it starting in verse 14. We're going to take a look closely at verse 14 because chapter, or verse 14 actually, it, it illustrates to us, it points out that there are actually multiple groups within that larger group that was the Thessalonian church. And so the first of those four groups we see in the beginning of verse 14 where he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That's group one. Comfort the faint-hearted, two. Uphold the weak, number three. And be patient with all, number four. And so the first group is this. We learn that there's a group that's disobedient, and the disobedient need warning. He says this. Warn those who are unruly. And so there is a reality, a possibility that within any group, you have some people that are unruly. Now, what is unruly? What does that mean? Sometimes when you see a word, you can break it up into its parts, and it helps you to understand the meaning. And this is one of those cases where you take the word unruly, and you kind of break it into its pieces, and you go, okay, I think I get it. Unruly, so you take the word, uh, part of the word un. And that means none or not. And then the word ruly comes from where we get the word rule. And so when you have a person that's unruly, it's a person that basically lives without rules. It's a person that's difficult to manage. It's a person that we probably describe as undisciplined. And so this particular word unruly is used in its original language to describe, uh, a, it's a military term describing a person that, a soldier that couldn't keep rank. Uh, that kind of was off and kind of out of step with everyone else. It also is used to describe somebody that is an idler. They're idling. 
You know, so the motor's running, but they're not going anywhere. They're, they're not doing anything. Ido- not idolatry, but idleness is, is a problem. It gets us into trouble. It's been said that idleness, a person that's idle, what they're doing is they're tempting the devil to tempt them. The idle person says to the devil, in a sense, I dare you to tempt me. And the devil's happy to oblige. And so a lot of things happen when a person doesn't have something moving them forward. They're just idle, too much time. And so this person that has too much time, they, they've basically taken the, the, the things of God, the things of the Spirit, and they've just basically become passive about them, unconcerned. You know, it's just, I just like to do my own thing. I'll even maybe come and sit in church for an hour, but I still like to do my own thing. And it's, it's rough because it makes it difficult on you. It's the person that just doesn't receive good counsel well. I think we all get good counsel in a number of different ways. We get it, you know, from the Bible itself and from the Lord. We get it from the radio. We get it from people around us. They give us good counsel. But some people take good counsel and they run with it and they do really well. It helps them. They take it, they understand it, they internalize it, they act upon it, and they're blessed because of it. Other people, they take that good counsel and they just say, thank you very much. They move on and it doesn't really go too far. That would be our unruly person. And that unruly person, the Bible says, needs to be warned. Brethren, warn those who are unruly, Paul would say. And so when he says warn them, The idea of warn is to admonish or to instruct concerning the consequences. And that so often is the the, the failure of the unruly person is they just have not thought through the consequences of what they do. They kind of just do what they think in the moment and they just do it. You see people like kids especially, they just do the craziest dumbest things, and it's like, why'd you do that? It was like, well, it was just a good idea in the moment. You know, why'd you poke your sister in the eye? I just thought it would be a good idea, you know? And, and it's like, you don't think about the consequences. And so it is, that this warning, it helps people to understand that, you know what, have you thought about what, what you're doing is doing to other people? Have you thought about what it's doing to yourself? Have you thought about what it's doing to the people that are watching you, whether they're your kids or your grandkids? You know, the things that we do, they have a ripple effect that go out. And so this warning is helping people to understand that correction is so often necessary. Warnings need to be given. But you know what? These kind of warnings, they need to be handled carefully. I'm going to take a moment from Thessalonians. We're going to go to Proverbs 26 because I want to point out what seems to be, appears to be, a contradiction in the Bible. Now you're thinking, could the Bible possibly have a contradiction? Well, let me explain. So if you'll join me in Proverbs chapter 26, we're going to look at a couple verses together. Proverbs chapter 26, and join me there. Let's take a look at verse 4, because it kind of gives us some insight on correction and instruction. Proverbs chapter 26, starting in verse 4. Notice what Solomon says. He says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And so there's your first instruction. Got it. 
Don't answer a fool according to his folly. You're going to become foolish yourself. Got it. But then look at the very next verse, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait a minute. Do I answer a fool or do I not answer a fool? Which one is it? Because here it is. Two verses right next to each other telling us two different things. Is that a contradiction? I want to suggest to you, no, it's not. Your students of the scriptures here at Calvary Church in Aurora, I know you are. I know your pastor. He's a dear friend. I know he has, he's taught you. And so what is the theme of the book of Proverbs? Shout it out. Wisdom is the theme of the book of Proverbs. I want to suggest to you that's exactly why these two contradictory verses are seated right next to one another. Because in this whole thing of warning, nobody likes it. I don't think there's very few people that enjoy confrontation and enjoy pointing out things that are wrong and and bringing about correction. No, I don't think there's very few people that enjoy that. I certainly don't. But when we're in that place where it's like, man, this needs to be dealt with, this needs to be corrected, what do I do? I think the first thing we do is say, Lord, give me wisdom. Because there's not a one-size-fits-all. There's not one thing that solves every problem. We need wisdom from the Lord to be close to Him, to know what He'd want us to do. That's why you have two different commands. How do we handle it? We need wisdom. We need wisdom for one, the right thing to say. Lord, give me the right words to say. We need the right heart. Lord, give me the right heart for what needs to be done. Help me to do it the right way. And thirdly, Lord, put it together in the right time. Make the timing right, because you can say the right thing at the wrong time, and it just goes nowhere. Sometimes it creates a bigger problem. But I've seen many times that, yes, something needs to be addressed. A conversation needs to be had. And when it is saturated in prayer, Lord, I don't want to step outside of what you want me to do. Give me your wisdom. He orchestrates things in a way that are, it's just so the Lord. His fingerprints are all over it. You can see God put this together. He's changed the heart. He's worked in the heart. The words are spoken. It's received well, and there's good fruit from it. Why? Because prayer and wisdom were attached to it. And so in this whole idea of, hey, with the disobedient, they need to be warned. You and I, we find ourselves in that place of giving that warning. Lord, give us wisdom first. Help us to have your heart. And so making our way back to Thessalonians. Jesus was such a great example of correcting and warning the right way. I'm reminded of Matthew 16, where Peter has the the nerve to go to Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, Lord. And when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, Peter would say, no, you're not. Not so, Lord. That's not going to happen. And what does Peter hear from the Lord? He hears, get thee behind me, Satan. Dude, where did that come from? I'm trying to, I'm trying to look out for you and it's get behind me, Satan. No, that was a correction that needed to happen. And there's going to be events and times like that in all our lives. And so the, 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 the unruly, the disobedient, they, they do need to be corrected and warned. But then the next group, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, well, number one, warn the unruly. But he also says, comfort the faint-hearted. The discouraged need comfort. 
the way the Bible describes it here is faint-hearted. And the word faint-hearted literally means small of soul. Your soul is small. It's a person that's, that's kind of living discouraged and, and timid and just lacking motivation. It's the quitter. It's the person that finds it easier to say, you know what, I, I just quit. I, I'm done. Or the person that never even gets started, the non-starter. I just don't see any reason to move forward. And the, the faint-hearted person, the person that says, you know, I just, I just don't think I could ever do anything. That person, they live with an, a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of what God is able to do through a weak vessel. The power and the potential in a person who is yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit is amazing, but there are so many voices that are spoken to our minds and our head. You're too small. You're too weak. You're too incompetent. So why even try? And after a while, a person can start really believing those things. Yeah, you know what? I am too weak. I am too small. I am too incompetent. So why even try? Again, it's that misunderstanding. And let me give you a little secret. Secret is this. When it comes to doing the things of God and great things of God, anything for God, we are too weak. We are too small. We are too incompetent. And that's why the Bible says to that faint-hearted person, you know what, you need to be comforted or strengthened because that can actually be a great, great place to begin, to stay faint-hearted. Because once that comfort comes, you know where your strength comes from. It's amazing what God can do. One of the books of the Bible that I really enjoy, it's one of my favorites, is the letter to the, uh, the Corinthian church, the second letter to the Corinthian church. And the reason why I like that particular letter so much is because what it does, among many other things, is it gives us a glimpse into the Apostle Paul and his personality, his struggles, his weaknesses. Say what you say and think what you think about the Apostle Paul as a missionary, as a church planter, as a, as a theologian, as a teacher. I mean, amazing in every way. But you know what? What you learn from 2 Corinthians about Paul is he's a guy that struggled with his own insufficiencies. He was a guy very aware of his own inabilities and weaknesses. And what the Lord did through that. And so I want to take us through a real brief tour of some three passages in 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to have you turn there with me, starting in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. So if you'll join me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to start off in verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Give you a moment to get there because it's really a worthwhile journey to take. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 5. 2 Corinthians 3 5 says this Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. In other words, Paul's understanding you know what? It's not from me. On my own, I'm insufficient, but my sufficiency then comes from God himself. Take a look at chapter 9, verse 8, same book. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Every good work that happens, happens because of the sufficiency that we have in God. And so here's the conclusion of the matter. Chapter 12, verse 9, same book, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. When Paul is reflecting on his weaknesses and his struggles, he he hears from the Lord this, verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul realized, hey, it's in those weaknesses and inabilities. That's when the Lord does his best work is when he has vessels that realize, unless you fill me, Lord, there's nothing there. Isaiah 35, 4 says, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. The Lord's with you. He's your sufficiency. And so to the discouraged Man, they just need some comfort. But then there's our third group back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So join me back there again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see group number 3. We've seen warn those who are unruly. We've seen comfort the faint-hearted. But the third group, he says, uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. And so the debilitated... What do they need? They need support. Uphold the weak. Now, the weak is used, this word is used to describe people that, were, that are weak in body or mind. That's how this word is normally used. So I really don't believe Paul is saying, hey, you know what? You're too fragile to be a servant of the Lord. Or you're not sharp enough in your mind to be a servant of the Lord. I really don't believe at all Paul is trying to say that. He's talking about being weak in our relationship with the Lord. Weak in faith. There are those who are just weak spiritually. Something has drained their strength. Or perhaps they never were strengthened at all. And and I want to suggest to you that strength in the Lord is really an individual choice. You and I decide whether we want to be strong or weak in the Lord. Nobody makes that decision for you. You know, you can walk by a a Planet Fitness or a 24-hour fitness or any gym, and you'll see there's two groups of people, two kinds of people. Some people go by and some people go in. Some people will just pass along and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Other people will go in and they'll, they'll hit the gym and they'll work out. And, and I'm not suggesting that we all have to join Planet Fitness or something. What I'm saying is the same thing happens spiritually. We're going to make a choice on whether we want to grow and mature or stay where we're at. And the Lord has made it remarkably simple. Simplicity is a good thing. I'm a very simple man. The more simple I can keep it, the better for me. That's one of the reasons why, well, in California, everybody loves In-N-Out Burger. How many of you had a chance to go to In-N-Out since they moved in? Yes, you see, I know your pastor, he loves In-N-Out. If you haven't, it's one of the better things that have ever come out of California, let me assure you of that. But the thing about In-N-Out is they made it so simple. You walk up and they say, do you want a number one, a number two, 
or number three. I mean, and if you're hungry, I'll take a number three. That's a double-double, fries, upgrade, get animal style, that's better. And then a drink, get a Diet Coke. That way you won't get heavy. You know, you get a Diet Coke with that. But uh, simplicity is a very simple thing. I think we all enjoy it. And in the same way, the Lord says, let me make it simple for you. You want to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Acts 2.42. Do what the early church did, and you can't help but grow. You will. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. So simple. Just four things. You do those four things and get serious about them, you can't help but grow. Be in the Word. Be under teaching. Read the Bible yourself. Be in fellowship. Have other believers, people that can speak into your life and can be a blessing to you. You can be a blessing to them. In in the breaking of bread, take communion together and in prayer. Those four things, you do them, and you know what? You will grow. You will get stronger. And so it's not rocket science. The Lord hasn't made it difficult. It's not brain surgery. It's not, it's not you know, something so hard to do. It's attainable. But not everybody will. We know that. And so in the family of God, there will be people that are weak. And so what does he say about the people and how are we to... to help those who are weak. He says, uphold them, uphold the weak. And so to uphold them, those that have grown weak, what do we do? The word uphold means to cling to them or even to hold fast to a belief in something or to help or to assist. And so we are to uphold the weak. In other words, we don't give up on people. We don't give up on them, and it's so easy to do. You have somebody, there's probably people in your life, I know I have my, it's like, man, I don't think you're ever going to go anywhere. You just don't seem to want to do anything. And what do we do? It's easy to say, well, you're on your own, bud. Sorry about that. I'm moving on. But we uphold them. It doesn't mean that you chase them down and pursue them and bug them and, you know, until you drive them nuts. No, you just uphold them. Continue to pray for them. Continue to love them. Continue to be available to them. Continue to say, you know what? I'm still here. We still love you. Don't give up hope on them. Because there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that like, everybody's given up hope on me. We uphold them. It's something so powerful. Don't give up on them. In Mark chapter 2, there's a great story of a guy that was literally weak. He was paralyzed. He was a paralytic. And this guy had four friends that were amazing. You'd want these guys in your corner. They see their buddy and they realize, you know what? He's so weak. He's paralyzed. And so what do they do? They put him on a stretcher and they carry him. And they, one thing they know is we need to get him to Jesus. And so they go to the house where Jesus is teaching, but they realize the, the house is packed. The house is full. There's people in the doorway. There's people in the windows. We're not going to be able to get our friend in to see Jesus. And so what do they do? They don't give up. They go up on the roof of the house. And what do they do? They start peeling away the layers of roof on this guy's house. Whoever the homeowner was, he's probably like, you know, what are you guys doing? But they peel back the ceiling, the roof, and they drop their friend right down in front of the Lord. And and I can see a smile on Jesus' face a mile wide. When he looks at this guy on this stretcher, and then he looks up at these four faces peeking down through the hole in the ceiling, 
And I could just kind of, in my mind's eye, see a smile because the Bible is very specific. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these four guys that would take their friend to Jesus, he says, he saw their faith and looked down at this guy and says, you're going to be forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, it's not to say that we can get saved for other people. But it is to say that here are four guys that had enough faith for their friend to bring him to the Lord. And there's going to be times in our lives, we're going to have people that, you know what, you're going to have faith for them. You will be faith for them because they don't have any. They've given up. They're like, I, I can't, I won't. I, and you'll say, you know what, we can, we will. You're going to make it. Let's go. And you're going, to, you're going to keep bringing them to church. You're going to keep loving on them. And the Lord's going to do work in their life. But there will be times that you will have faith for other people. And so for the debilitated, they need support. We uphold the weak. But then there's this fourth group. He goes on in verse 14 and says, be patient with all. And so the droves need patience. Who are the droves? Droves is another word for a multitude, a crowd. And so the droves, the multitude, people, all people need patience. We are to be patient with all. No matter who they are, no matter how much they struggle, patience is so important. Why? Well, number one, patience is an attribute of love, isn't it? We all know the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is, the very first one, love is patient, and love is kind, and it's all these other things. It's an attribute of love. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and then all the other ones, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But patience is a mark of the person that is walking in the Spirit. And so it's kind of like the Lord says, I want you to be patient people, because there's a lot of people that need Patience. In fact, everyone, all of us need patience at some point. The people around you need patience. Have you ever got in your car and you got behind somebody that drove so slow? Like, not just slow, but ridiculous slow. I mean, slow, slow. That's maddening, isn't it? My wife was coming home the other day. She told me, to get to my house, you can kind of cut through the parking lot of one of the stores, and it cuts off some time, and then you kind of get on the road, and you're at my house. And so she cuts through the, the parking lot. She gets behind that person that is so, and my wife's a good driver, way better driver than me, uh, but so slow that she says, my speedometer didn't even register movement. It's like, we were going so slow, my, my, my car didn't even know it was moving. And so, you know, it's like, well, you're in a parking lot, so I guess that makes sense. You never know of a pedestrian little kid, so you drive careful and slow. But, but certainly when you get out on the roads, you're going to go at least, you know, the, at least up to the speed limit. But no, gets out on the street, and they just still so slow. And if you notice these same people, when they're going so slow, they always go the same direction you go. In other words, if you can go straight or left, and you need to go left, they're going to go left. And it's certainly that person, oh, they went left. Well, there's another left coming. No, they made another left. How far did you have to follow this person? Well, it happened to be my next door neighbor. So they, 
she followed that person all the way home, basically. You know, it's like people need patience in so many situations. You know what? Patience is vital. And difficult people, they need patience. They need love. So he goes on to say in verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. We are not to be people in this dealing with difficult people. We're not to be people that return evil for evil. There are people that will do you evil. I think the worst evil, in my mind anyway, is when you try and do someone good, and then they do you evil, right? That's the worst. I mean, you know what? People that are just evil, they do something wrong. That's not surprising. But when you've actually gone out of your way to try and do somebody really good, and they turn around and do you wrong, that's evil. But he says, you know what? We do not return evil for evil. We don't deal in this area of payback. I heard a story about uh, two guys, their friends, and they were walking down the street. One guy's Chinese, the other guy's Jewish, and they're buddies. And so they're walking down the street, and as they're walking down the street, the Jewish guy turns and he just cracks his Chinese friend right in the head, knocks him to the ground. And the Chinese guy, he turns around, looks up, and he says, what was that for? And the Jewish guy says, that was for Pearl Harbor. And the Chinese guy says, wait a minute. That was the Japanese. I'm Chinese. And the Jewish guy says, Japanese, Chinese, it's all the same. Okay. So he gets up and they continue down the street and then the Chinese guy turns around and he cracks his Jewish friend, knocks him to the ground. And the Jewish friend looks up and says, what was that for? And he says, that was for the Titanic. (laughs) The Titanic? That was an iceberg. Iceberg, Goldberg, what's the difference? It doesn't make any difference. Now, How long can a feud like that keep going? I want to suggest to you a feud like that can keep going a long, long, long time. Maybe some of you are in something like that where, you know what, somebody has done you wrong and and maybe you've done that. And there is no horizon. There's no fixing this on the horizon. There's no plan on that. And yet, what the Lord is telling us is, see that no one renders evil for evil. You know the old, I don't get mad, I get even? A lot of people function on that, whether we admit it or know it or realize it or not. It's like, well, you know what? That guy did me wrong. Forget it. I'm done. You're nothing in my life. And yet, I really believe the Lord is looking at us as his, his children, as his servants, and saying, hey, when is somebody going to take the high road in this? Who, who's going to be the one that says, you know what, I know that a lot of wrong has happened, but you know what, we're going to start making this right. We're going to bring reconciliation. 1 Peter 3.9 says this, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Romans 12.21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so 
who's going to be the one that says, hey, let's, let's make this right? I hope it's you. I hope it's me. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are the peacekeepers. That's one thing. But the peacemakers. And not be the ones that say, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them back. I'm going to get revenge. The Bible's so clear. The Bible says that God has claimed vengeance as His own. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Does it not say that? Sure does. And the reason why the Lord claims vengeance as His own and doesn't give it to us is because He knows this about us. We just don't do vengeance well. We're not good at it. We'll be too harsh. We'll be too brutal. We'll ask for too much. You know, and so He says, let me just take care of the vengeance part you take care of the reconciling part. You take care of the love part. And let me take care of the vengeance part. Because it's amazing what happens when we do what we're supposed to do where the vengeance part doesn't even need to come into play. The Lord knows that. And so he says, don't return evil for evil. But last part of the verse, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And so he says, pursue what's good. When you seek what is good for yourself and for others and those around you, he says, I know this. He says, that's good for you. That's good for me. When we just, even when we've been done wrong, you know what? I'm going to pursue the good. He knows what a benefit that is to our own soul and the soul of people around us because we can actually extinguish resentment with kindness not getting mixed up in the, the mess that it can be. There's a couple guys that lived in a village and they had a dispute that seemed like nothing would ever fix this. Nothing would ever resolve it. And so what they decided to do is in this little village, they had a guy that was known for his wisdom. He was the kind of the village wise man. And so they decided, hey, you know what? We should go talk to him and, and get his instruction, his feedback, his perspective on it. So, so he decided that's what we'll do. And so the first guy goes to the village wise man, the sage, and he pours out his heart. He explains the situation. And this, this man looks at the guy, the first guy, and he says, you have made an excellent point. And the first guy walked away happy. And then the second guy comes to the wise man and, and he pours out his thoughts and his hearts and experience. And, and the sec, to the second guy, he says, this wise man says, you have made an excellent point. And the second guy walks away and he's very happy. Well, when both these guys are gone, this wise man's wife looks at him and says, what you did was so wrong. You told both these guys that you agreed with them when their, opposite, their stories were as opposite as could be. That was just a totally wrong thing to do. And this wise man looks up at his wife and says, you have made an excellent point. (laughs) Because there's a place where you start to realize that, you know, taking sides really doesn't win anything. But letting the Lord just resolve things. You know what? I'm just going to pursue what's good. I'm going to pursue the good and the Lord will deal with these things and you watch what God does. You know who used to do that a lot? Pastor Chuck used to do that. 
if you've listened to Pastor Chuck, he'd say so often, you know, people try and get me to their side. They have a perspective, a viewpoint, and they, they'll come and explain it. And he just, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're, okay. And they'll walk away thinking they agree. And then, then they say, hey, Pastor Chuck agrees with me. And he say, no, I don't. See, he refused to kind of get involved and get drawn in and take sides. He just pursued what was good. He just looked to the Lord. And I want to suggest to you, we'll just do that. Just pursue what's good. Pursue what's good, and you'll see what God does. It's really a good thing for, for everyone. So with that, I'm going to ask you to you can close up your Bibles if you like. I think the important thing to understand in all this, when we talk about dealing with difficult people, because every one of us has difficult people in our lives, probably quite a few. But I think it's really important to understand that although we have difficult people in our lives, we need to understand that there are many times we are the difficult people. We're the difficult ones. Yes, we're going to have people in our lives that need, we all need to be patient with all of them, but they need to be comforted, they need to be encouraged, they need to be upheld, they, they need to be warned. We have those kind of people, but there are also times where we will be those people. In fact, if we're to look at the mirror, sometimes the problem is with us and not with others. The junk is within us. It's not within all the people around us. And so to take that understanding and everything that, you know what, in every situation, we always bring the cross into it. Because who has been patient with us? The Lord has. Who has upheld us? The Lord has. Who has comforted and strengthened? The Lord has. And so it really comes down to this. We're those disobedient people at times. And that is exactly why The Father in heaven says, I love you so much that I'm going to take care of the problem that you have no chance of taking care of. And he sends his son to pay the penalty on the cross for your sins and mine so that we can be liberated, we can be freed, we can continue to grow and mature and become the people he wants us to be. But all comes down to this. When we understand we're the disobedient people and we need the cross. And then let him start working in our heart and in our life and changing us. And when that happens, it's an amazing thing that happens that the, the difficult people in our lives are so much easier to deal with. Agreed? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. We pray, Lord, as we wrap up our time together, I'm just so thankful uh, for what you do in all our hearts, all our lives. You're very gracious and very patient with us. And it's a patience that certainly we don't, deserve in any way. And yet you've shown us great grace and great patience, and for that we will always be thankful. And before we go, I want to pray. I want to pray if there's anybody in this room today that they're at a point right now where maybe they are weak. Maybe they are laden with frustration and guilt and shame. Maybe they can see themselves as the person that's been unruly and difficult and disobedient. But you love them. And you draw them to yourself. You did it in the greatest way possible. You did it by sending your own son to pay the penalty for their sin, that if they would put their trust in you, believe in you, that they could have a new beginning and fresh start. And we need those fresh starts in our life. Maybe there's people here that have drifted from where they even were at some point in the past. 
and now they're in a place of just struggle. The relationship with you just seems non-existent. And today you're drawing them back to the place where they can be close to you again. It's through the cross. And so we pray for them right now in this moment of decision that they would turn to you and place their faith in you today. We pray right now for those that are struggling today, distant today. And if that's you right now, and you would say, you know what? I'm that person that needs to place my faith in the Lord. I, I, I don't have it. It's not there. I'm struggling. Today, the Lord invites you to come to Him, to receive His grace and mercy and forgiveness, to have the, the, the sins and the faults and the crimes of the past and all the junk washed away, and a new beginning by simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us on the cross. And so that's you right now. This is your moment right now to make a quality decision and turn to Him. If you're here today and you'd say, yes, I'm ready to turn to the Lord and place my faith in Him, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty bold, and that is to get up out of your seat and stand to your feet. I want to lead you in a prayer of coming to the Lord and receiving His forgiveness. I'll give you the words to say. You'll just need to repeat them. But if that's you right now, and you would say, yes, a new beginning is what I need. A fresh start is what I need. I'm tired of the trouble. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the condemnation. I want a new beginning. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Get up out of your seat. Stand to your feet. And I want to lead you in prayer. The Lord wants to meet you today. God bless you. I just believe there's several people in this room right now that the Lord is tugging on your heart. You sense it. You feel it. That's not just nerves. That's the Spirit of God saying, I want you to be family. You've got people praying for you here in this room right now. Believers, you should be praying because strongholds need to be broken and people need to be set free. And our prayers are vital in that. This is a moment of decision for people. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? You're here right now and you're thinking, yes, God bless you. Yes. And you're making this decision. What am I going to do? Jesus says, come to me if you're weary, heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. He wants to meet you. He loves you. And so that's you right now. God bless you as well. Turn your heart to the Lord. God bless you as well here in the front. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He lifts you up. You're here and this is such a, an important moment in your life. God bless you in the back. As Jesus is here, you've come. You maybe don't even know how or why you got here. Maybe your, your friend dragged you here, but you've got the best friend. If you have somebody willing to do that for you. God bless you as well in the back. And you're coming to a God who says, I love you. I know everything about you. I know the worst about you, and I love you anyway. And there's forgiveness for you. There's a new beginning. Anyone else, you're here, and you know, man, I can sense it. God wants to do something in my life. I feel those nerves. I, I don't know what to do. Don't think you've won a victory by walking out of those doors without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, because you haven't. The victory is when we surrender to the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. 
believers continue to pray. If, if you're standing right now, I'm going to ask you to look up at me for one moment. If you're standing, look up at me for one moment. I'm going to ask you two favors. First favor is this. When the service is done, there will be some people right up here in the front. I'm going to ask you to come and see them for a moment. They just want to give you a, a, a study to help you on this decision you're making so you can continue in this decision to walk with the Lord and know Him. And, so, and they want to pray with you. And so will you do that? Will you do that? Will you guys do back, back there? Will you do that back here? Awesome. Then I'm going to ask you to just, second thing, just pray with me. Just join me in prayer. I'm just going to say a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it. And so pray with me. Just repeat these words. Say this. Heavenly Father, I confess I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. I believe he's risen and I surrender my life to you. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.